Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm really excited today about my guest, Paul Samuel Dolman. I have been on Paul's podcast, What Matters Most, quite a few times. And without exception, he is the most exciting, generative conversationalist I've ever engaged with. Check out his podcast, What Matters Most, and his great book, which I enjoyed so much, Hitchhiking with Larry David. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mel. And I have to say, I'm incredibly honored to be on your show and to finally reciprocate because you have come on countless times with tremendous audience response. We've talked about your book, The Possibility Principle, which was a life changer for me. And so many people have gotten involved in your work and gotten your book through my show and the work you're doing. So it's an honor today to be here with one of my favorite people in the whole universe to talk to. Well, I guess we're both mutually honored. We are. It's a good way to start. (laughs) Before our audience gets sickened by our self-appreciation of one another, let's dive in. About 12 years ago, I wrote an article called Who Am I? I had some points I wanted to make, but over the years, I became stunned by how many views this article got. I think it's well over 500,000 now. And so I wondered, what was that about? And I Googled Who Am I? to see that This term, this question gets Googled so often, and fortunately, my article came up right at the top. So, Paul, being a therapist, I deal with this question often, but it occurred to me that the question, who am I, elicits a fixed response, like there's a definite, concrete answer to who am I. And that concerned me because, as you know from my work in my new book, I view reality as perpetually flowing. Nothing is inert or static for a moment. So the question, who am I, speaks to a fixed, concrete, inert thing. So in my article, I propose that who am I is the wrong question for us to ask ourselves. Instead, we might be asking how would I like to experience my life? You see, that question is moving, flowing. Mm-hmm. It's creative. It's unfolding. And very different than who am I? So I wonder, in your experience of yourself and others, have you asked yourself this question, who am I? Countless times and still probably on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis in a different form, not that directly. I'm always in relation to a moment and to an experience and really what our thoughts are, my thoughts, 
and then my beliefs below that, and then the non-fixed reality of what I am is always in relation to this present moment. And that's a lot of words, but I like what you said, and I don't see myself as any kind of fixed point. I am an ongoing energy phenomenon experiment. These are words for the ineffable. I would say I'm a process. And then there are different levels. If someone says, what do you do? I hate that question. You could say I host a podcast called What Matters Most. I've written a few books. That's not what I do anyway. What I do is I do life. Those are things I've done or ongoing. But I try to, I first, because I'm a meditator and a reflective person, I see myself more and more now as this portal to something mysterious. Now I'm tangible. I'm a carbon-based life form made of stardust, but that's the outer. The inner is this ineffable mystery. It's an energy phenomenon. It's energy moving through the world that has all these powers that I'm trying to discover a fraction of them and harness them for my experience so I can be more active in the world and the reality in which I create. And for some reason, I am much more resonant, happy, and in harmony if I'm creating what we would call in the spectrum good things, harmonious things, kindness, love. But I have all the other feelings and experiences too, and I allow them. That's been a big difference. But I don't have to act them out. And then I constantly, Mel, try to just revert back to the observing presence of what I really am, which is... I don't know. It's inevitable. It's timeless. Some might say the soul, if it was religious language, words will fall short, but that's what I do. So then if something comes up, like what life might call a challenge or a great opportunity, I like to say, who am I in relation to this? Who am I in relation to that? And here's the great point. I, or the great revelation, I get to choose and define that. Whether something comes that people might say is bad, not necessarily. It's just an happening. It's an experience. It's a phenomena. So who am I in relation to that? Might be a great life lesson. I might be extraordinarily kind in the face of barbaric language or somebody who is not performing perhaps in a loving way. I might be very patient with my partner. I might be very generous in life because I feel life is very generous with me. So Again, each moment invites me to define and create what I wish to be in the now. So, Paul, what you're describing sounds to me, my thoughts that are arising as you're sharing Mm -hmm. this with me, is that sounds particularly evolved, self-aware, and conscious. My question is, have you always felt that way? Did you come into this life with that level of a enlightenment and awareness or did you struggle and process and fall down and get scraped up uh, what is the process that brought you to this place that you're now describing that's a phenomenal follow-up question and the answer is yes to all of it i came in radically aware i think children do or at least i did and then we have set up systems, the Newtonian model, as you so brilliantly like to point out, where they say, here, you should be, act like a machine and you should be educated like a machine and you should function like a machine. The problem with that is I'm not a machine. I'm what I just talked about a minute ago. So, and I was kind of told that, oh, this is crazy thinking or crazy thought, or you're too sensitive, or don't, I'll give you something to cry about, or we can't just help everybody because that would be some something that we're not, we've all agreed we're not going to do. 
So then, like any herd creature, a mammal, I try to fit in. I want to go out with the pretty girl. I want to please mom and dad. I want to be liked. So all of a sudden, I start becoming this hopeless perfectionist, excelling in at sports and school. Childhood was kind of fun, but it could have been a lot more fun. But as I progressed, it became less fun because it was all about achieving. I lost the love of the process. It was always about this imaginary mirage of an end result when there is no end result. And then when you put it all in that basket, the imaginary end result can't help but fall short, hopelessly short. Then I reached a point of, well, then what's the use, which is a natural conclusion to such a Newtonian way of living, highly evolved thinking, actually. There's no point. And then I had all the pain, didn't know what to do with it. You're not allowed to feel your feelings. So I went through years where I didn't want to be alive. I never contemplated suicide, but I didn't really want to be here. It's I can't imagine it now, but I can remember it. And luckily, I had the strength and there was grace where I started getting counseling and therapy and working with healers. I've always been open. If somebody said, do you want to talk? Yes. Do you want this? Why not? Let's try it. Within reason. No drugs. I don't throw caution to the wind for insanity, but I'm open to think people and ideas and encounters. Why do you think this? Why do I think that? And then the process, once I move towards it, and I would say spirit, love, God, I was an atheist. And if God did exist, I kind of hated it for setting up the world the way it did. I thought it was it was completely fucked up and I didn't buy the good cop, bad cop thing. I didn't believe in a Satan or any of that. I thought it was old superstition. Religion was. But I did feel this ineffable spiritual connection, mostly to nature. And I saw magic in everything. And so once I sort of moved towards this ineffable loving energy, which I've come to discover and, and opened myself to it, it went a thousandfold in my direction. Synchronicity started to happen. Magic, miracles. I should have drowned. I was pulled out by beings that came out of nowhere. Uh, I discovered Joseph Campbell, which was like a spiritual godfather where I thought, there's someone else who thinks like me. And he, I love this guy. So maybe I'm not so crazy or I'm from another planet and there's another one. Maybe there's two or three. There happened to be a bunch of them. Not enough, unfortunately. Luckily, you're from there. And I started meditating. I felt like I wanted to go meditate. I met an Indian master. I wanted to walk away from everything I owned. He loved me and he said, no, I think your destiny is in the world. I was crushed. He was correct. And so it's still an ongoing process. The other day, I think it was about a month and a half ago, I crashed so far into ego and adolescent mindset that for about an hour, I felt like everything I'd ever done to become evolved was a waste of time that I was still a disgruntled youth <laughs> and it fooled myself. And then I laughed that off and I was fine. So let's talk a bit about that moment and let me set that up a bit. Mm. Um, because for most of our listeners, they may listen to you and think, boy, that sounds incredible. They may have thoughts of, I could never get there. I don't know how to get there. What's wrong with me? So let's take a step back. Identity is how I see myself, what I think of myself, and what I think of others in comparison. What you've described, Paul, is the word openness, I think is the one word that I would use to describe how you describe your experience. Your openness to messages, 
teachers, the universe, that openness has allowed you your interconnectivity with everything that is. Sometimes I come across people who might say, I know myself so well. You know, the question often comes up in my field, uh, do I need therapy? And my response might be, that's the wrong question. Again, the question might be, could I benefit from therapy? Now, the people who say, I know myself so well, and I picture them with their arms folded and in front of their chest. And typically men. I did too. Typically, yeah, I did too. <laughs> yeah, typically men, guys, sorry about the gender bias. Um, obviously applies to many women as well. I know myself so well is defended. I wouldn't want to know myself so well that I can't be flowing and evolving. You know, mm. we, we call ourselves human beings, but a being is a fixed state. You know, Paul, I, mm. I know you read my book, The Possibility Principle, is a chapter called From Being to Becoming. So mm. I find that in the human experience, when we can let go and move into the process of becoming, everything unfolds and our sense of self becomes at one with the universe. But fear gets in the way. And I want to come back to a, in a moment to what you said about that fearful moment. So fear takes many forms. One of the forms I've seen that fear takes is when I'm trying to help people create change in their lives. And often I hear, but I don't know who I would be if they let go and pursued the growth and the fantasies of what they want. It's who would I be? And you see, who would I be is again a fixed thing as opposed to what you're sharing, which is how do I want to flow with reality? How do I want to navigate? And by the way, that doesn't mean that I'm a hapless victim of circumstances along the current of life. It means I've joined in the current of life and I am free to navigate and to take the direction I want to take, but not from fear and self-doubt. That's the process of becoming. But would you share with us what precipitated those few moments that you described of your descent into fear? Well, that was very eloquent, too. And I want to say to everyone out there listening that if I can do it, anyone can. I'm the poster child for the worst candidate to meditate or ever be peaceful. If you knew me earlier in my life, there's no one that can't do it if I can. And to also piggyback on what you said, the more I've gone deep within myself, the greater I become a mystery. I know less about myself now than I ever did. The difference is before when I thought I knew who I was, I was completely wrong. So wide open space. And I guess what? I don't need to know. It's a mystery. What happened was, if I can even remember it, was it was just a series of circumstances like maybe 12 different things went wrong. I banged my head. I dropped something that broke. The computer crashed. It was like I suddenly was uh, being tumbled when I used to body surf helplessly by a giant wave that was bigger than I had anticipated. And my ego got bounced around like uh, a pair of sneakers in the dryer, if you've ever heard those things. Boom, boom, boom. And the inner adolescent just started crying and threw a fit, cursing. And what's the point? It was like when I've, you ever see those little four-year-olds in the ice cream cone, the brand new cone falls on the ground. Right. The dog takes it. That was me. 
And I just let it go. I didn't even try. It was too late anyway. The hypothalamus kicked in. <laughs> that little guy threw a fucking fit. But I still felt the presence of what I really am watching it and almost bemused. And I think I like kicked some shit like no, nothing alive, nothing hard. I didn't want to hurt my foot. I had enough consciousness for that. I might have kicked the uh, rubber garbage can around a little bit. Cursed up a blue storm. I let it out. There'll be no cancer from uh, feelings being held in. And honestly, it passed rather quickly. I quickly had a couple tools. I went and took a cold shower, broke my state. Then I sat down to meditate in presence. I am not kidding. Within 40 seconds, I was hysterical because I was replaying it back in my mind. And I saw the smaller me and the human self. Like I almost felt like the universe was playing with me that it triggered all these things. So I'd have a meltdown and watching the tape of it, it was hysterical. And that I completely identified with the circumstances that I felt like everything was against me and that everything I'd ever done had been a waste of time. You know, never, always, you know, you're crazy when you're in that realm. But in the old days, Mel, in my twenties, that state might've lasted six months. This time it lasted about 16 minutes. I mean, it was, there's the difference. And that's when I knew things were different. And I, the rest of the day, I thought, guess what? Then I played a game. After the cold shower, I thought, let's pretend you just woke up. I'm starting the day over. I took a shower. I made a cup of coffee like I do in the morning. I did some reading. I got on the bike. I went down to the beach. What a luxury, right? And I started doing what I do every day anyway, but this is a foolproof method for the listener. I started to count my blessings and not in a cliched way. I thought I didn't throw that fit in the hospital. I have friends like Mel and other friends. I have a bike. I live by the beach. I have hot water. Billions of people don't have clean water. And then I start crying, but it's sort of, I took charge, but I didn't try to negate the little guy who freaked the fuck out. I've learned not, not to exile those parts of myself. I find in those moments, the sense of humor is so important. When I keep walking into walls, make, <laughs> make stupid mistakes, nothing's going right. Invariably, when I can stop and have a real good laugh, I become humble. You used, <laughs> you used the word ego before. Um, yeah. So as you and I have discussed, ego, ego doesn't exist. There's no such thing as ego. It's just a word to describe what we think we mean. And so uh -huh. ego to me is my sense of self that's rigid, insecure, analyzing myself, comparing uh -huh. myself and measuring myself to others. That's ego. And ego is resplendent with fear and stress and anxiety. Uh -huh. And it uh -huh. removes me from uh -huh. you. It removes me from others, from nature and the universe. So what I'm calling ego is what differentiates me. Now, I don't mean to suggest that all of us shouldn't have a sense of self, which is at once connected with everyone else and part of the universe. And at the same time, there's a differentiation where I can participate, I can be creative, I can be instructive, I can help. I am, I am the straw that makes the difference. I contribute to the ripple of reality. So I'm part of the whole, but I still have autonomy. So this concept of who am I, that question that 
people ask themselves, that's an ego question. So folks, what we want to ask ourselves is, how would I like to experience my life? How would I like to experience my relationships? And a key fundamental way to free yourself is to look at your thoughts. You know, Paul, when you said you counted your blessings, you took a shower, you had a restart. What I have learned is that when I am in a, an exceptionally good mood, or let's say a negative mood, I ask myself, what was the last thought that I can recall that mm-hmm. set up the feeling I'm in? And I've trained myself and I teach others to do this. I can then capture the thought. And then when I look at the thought, particularly if I'm in a problematic mood, if I find the thought that set it up, then I say to myself, oh, that's it. It was just that thought. Okay, it's only a thought. It's only a perception. I let it go. That brings me back into this flow, into the flow of becoming. Now, what blocks this process for people and for us, because nobody's the guru, we're not there, is the challenge of authenticity. To me, Uh authenticity, the way I use the word, suggests that I am going to be absolutely free and comfortable being who I am and what I feel in this moment. And I am not going to worry about what I think that you think of me. That allows me authenticity and integrity. And when you can come to authenticity, you are in the flow of becoming. You're no longer stuck in who am I. Beautifully said. And what I hear through all of this too is just radical presence. My ego is always suggesting things, trying to start a conversation with someone who's not even in the room or imagining a future outcome or revisiting a past event and getting a charge out of it or whatever. And it's not in the now. So I always think, do I need to deal with this now or is it, is it real, authentic, or is it just the ego's thing? So I can't shut the ego up. I've tried every way to do that, but I can marginalize it, let it have its say, and then I take charge. And I say, no, I'm just going to enjoy my beach walk right now, or I'm going to talk to Mel or eat this piece of fruit and really enjoy it. And then when something comes up, I have the confidence that I'll just be able to deal with it or I won't. And then I'll deal with that. And when we were touching on openness, someone might, someone asked me the other day, and I had, I've, I've been thinking about this. They said, wow, well, you are so open. And I thought, well, where does that come from? Let's walk it back like Mel would. It's because I feel so safe. Okay, great. Why do you feel so safe? Because I've identified myself as this eternal aspect of, of immortality and of the greater picture in a carbon suit that's temporary. So again, I wouldn't jump in front of a train unless I really wanted to leave and I wouldn't. But also, I don't want to be afraid of imaginary ghosts and dragons in the closet like when I was a little kid. So if someone wants to talk to me, eat lunch or ask me questions or have a discussion or anything, I'm open. Recently, I've had countless conversations with Trump lovers. They're drawn to me like a magnet. I'm not going to go political. I think it's the universe's playful nature. I've fallen in love with every one of them, and I've come to understand why they are where they are, at least from a limited point of view, and they've loved me. I don't tell them anything. I ask a lot of questions, and I do a lot of listening. But I'm open. I don't have to prove them wrong. They're walking up in the hat and the shirt. I'm not wearing any hats or shirts that state my thing. I don't need to. 
I'm open. I feel safe because I realize I'm more than just this. So working backwards, being open, feel safe, and then identifying with the observer leads you, I feel like what you're using your language here, a more open, flowing, synchronistic experience. And from the way you're describing that, Paul, Mm -hmm. the key takeaway that I get is through openness, you see yourself, your worldview is, of course, what I teach and write about. Your worldview is one of inseparability. Now, yes. now, for the listeners who are new to this, we've been trained to think in separation. 17th century thinking coming from Newton and Descartes. We were the cogs in a giant machine, separate and disconnected from each other. From that worldview, we have an existential crisis. We have no meaning or purpose or connectivity. And so we compete And we analyze ourselves and measure ourselves in comparison to everyone else and measure our progress and have fears of making mistake. We stay rooted in judgment. We're not part of the flow because our mindset has separated us. And that comes to who am I? Now, quantum physics over the last 80 years has told us that reality is altogether different. It is magically counterintuitively one inseparable whole. Now, folks, this is hard science confirming the teachings of ancient mysticism, oneness. Now, when you move into that state of oneness, as Paul was describing, you still have a sense of self that's intrinsic and valuable and creative, but you're part of the whole. So you, you let go of the self-measuring and the self-judgment. And that doesn't mean you become blasé or lazy. It means that you don't analyze yourself in a critical way where you're finding fault and you're afraid and the fear keeps you out of the flow of becoming. But it's a gentler tuning in. How am I doing? You described that brilliantly, Paul, when you had such a rough start to the day, but you didn't beat yourself up. You smiled at yourself and said, okay, I need a restart today. And then you were able to access that because, Paul, your paradigm, your worldview is that you're a part of the whole, a significant, essential part of the whole, but a part of the whole. And it's that joining in the universe that allows you to become in this process of becoming. And the way you describe it is great. And I'm so happy that you shared with everybody that it wasn't always that way for you because it's the rare individual who is born that way. Folks, this is a process. We need to embrace our fear so it doesn't overwhelm us and say, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. When you do, the fear will dissipate. Um, Any closing thoughts, Paul? Anything else you'd like to share that you think the listener would benefit from? Well, I like what you said there. And I was going to say, too, even that meltdown, I realized was a real gift because it provided contrast from my dominant state of peace and harmony. But I would kind of got used to it. And then because of the meltdown, I thought, oh, no, you really used to live like that in a heightened state of stress. And now you live in a pretty much a state of peace. And I like what you said. And I call I live in a plane of possibilities. 
I don't plan much when we plan this. It's not like I'm allergic to clock time. There's a time to plan things, but I stay open and I'm constantly like in tune, like what does life want to move through me? I don't think, what do I want? Oh, I want to be on Oprah. I want this. I want a big house. I don't think that way. I have desires. I want to eat something. I'm hungry or whatever. I ask, what does life want now to come through me? Then I align with that. Then I have this universal power and flow. And then the magic from everything, from a magical happening where I got a piano in my house now, the people I meet, like you, the synchronicity is insane. Anyone can do it. It's completely democratic. It's free. You surrender. You let go. You never had control anyway. Let it all go. And then get into this magical flow, this air. The pelicans didn't create the wind. But they navigate on the wind. I love watching them at night as I walk the beach. It's my sacred time. And they fly by. And the tilt of the wing here and the tilt of the wing there. And they swirl down. They might grab a fish. But the wind is life. It is the energy force of the universe. It's the prana. Give it a word if you like. Call it nothing. Ride the. Anyone can ride the wind. But you have to surrender. If you stay on the ground in fear, you'll never ride the wind. And you'll miss out on a lot of adventures in this one and only existence as this form now. That reminds me of the first time I tried to water ski and I had fear. And in my fear, I was trying to hold the boat back. So there it is. So we had a great episode on synchronicity. So for the listeners, if you tune into Paul's podcast, What Matters Most, and listen to the interview Paul had with me in our great discussion about synchronicity. And Paul, I'm going to invite you back onto my show so that we can explore synchronicity again from some new points of view. I will come on once a week, once a month, whenever you want me. And the same way you have an open invitation on my show. I just love these dialogues these conversations, these open-ended questions that keep evolving. Keep things open-ended. I like that. And you live in a very open-ended way. Uh, Life goes on and on. And this is just one beautiful stage of it. It's such a miracle to be here right now on every level. I'm just very grateful. And I'm very grateful for you and the work you do and how you've brightened my life and the life of many others. And that there is a need and a hunger for these kind of talks and dialogues and conversations right now. It's the stuff of life. And thank you for sharing your life and your brilliance with us today. Thank you, Mel. To allow our identity to evolve and change, we need to break free of old, worn-out encumbrances that typically induce anxiety, or maybe our fear of making a mistake. You know, usually this anxiety is just stuck in that old image of being as opposed to becoming. Remember I talked about the Newtonian worldview of fixed inert objects, which became us. The new quantum worldview, which I speak of in my book, is about the process of becoming, flowing, and unfolding. This new imagery is so important to free ourselves from that feeling of being stuck. When we see reality operating from a fixed place, we unthinkingly try to hold on to what is, and we ward off uncertainty and change, which prompts us to ask that question, who am I? 
You know, that's kind of like trying to hold back the flow of life from that vantage of being. The more we seek certainty and predictability, the greater our fear of making a mistake. It's like playing a chess match where we're sitting back and calculating our next move, but we're not in the flow. However, from this new vantage point of becoming, we can loosen our grip around this anxiety. Freeing ourselves of the fear of making mistakes usually enables us to make clearer and more sensible decisions, kind of paradoxically. It's our fixation on certainty and predictability that keeps us defensively resistant to change and stuck in our state of being. I've often heard people speak of their former marriages as mistakes because they ended in divorce. But without such a difficult experience, neither person might have had the opportunity to discover deeper truths about themselves and why they chose the partners that they did. When I approached the end of my former marriage, I thought about it. I was reflecting and came to appreciate that my ex-spouse hadn't changed over all the years we were married. I wondered and thought about that and considered I had no right to be upset or angry with her. She hadn't changed a bit. That prompted me, though, to ask myself, who was I? Who had I been all those years before to think that she'd be the right woman for me? You see, marrying her wasn't a mistake. It allowed me to engage my struggle and come into a deeper consideration of who I had been to enable me to get into my process of becoming. It's the very construct of mistakes that assaults our relationships with ourself and deprives us of being at peace and in the flow of life. When we think we've made a mistake, we tend to defer to the voices and opinions of other people who tend to want us to stay stuck in being just as they are stuck in being. When we find ourselves terrorized by thoughts of mistakes or failure, we lose the opportunity to live more fully, to join in the flow of becoming. There's no single correct decision or pathway that exists when you're in the process of becoming. You're in the flow of life and you're free to navigate as you go along, but you're in the flow. Liberating ourselves from the fear of making a mistake it enables our lives to unfold with greater purpose. Mistakes, notions of failure, are the cultural constructs rooted in that old way of thinking, Newton's stuck inert objects. It seems that the universe is participatory, inseparable, and magically flowing. And that new point of view, that new worldview, allows us to transcend our old stuck place of thinking of ourselves as being. Who am I is a state of being. It is fixed, inert, and from that state, from that perspective of being, change would be hard. And that is why change becomes hard. Coming into this flow of becoming, this state of unfolding, allows us to embrace and engage new possibilities along the way, every moment that we choose. Think about the term, what if. What if either induces fear and stress about the future and something you don't want to happen, worryment, fear, anxiety, or what if can be full of wonder. If you can learn to embrace that what if, that full of wonder, which opens you to new possibilities, then you really let go of the who am I and you shift into how would I like to experience my life? How do I get into this flow of becoming? It's an exciting, adventurous ride, 
I invite you to come along. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening and until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. (laughs) 